Hello, one and all, and welcome to the podcast we call The Fantastical with myself, Stephen Nussbaum, in the podcast where I invite my guests to come on, talk to me all about their musical tastes and experiences, and they also get to collate their fantasy festivals, which I have called Fantastivals. This is episode number 66, and before we start this episode, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to Jordan and Kieran Murray from Arcade State, who were on in the last episode. Such a great band. Go and check them out if you haven't done so already. Some absolute belting tunes, some massive, massive ballads waiting for your ears to listen to. Great band, great lads, a great fantasy festival lineup. So thank you to those gents on 65. But this is episode 66. And when I started this podcast about a year and a half ago, I had a list of people who I really wanted to get on and a dream list. And my guest for this episode was on my dream list. And at the time, it wasn't the right time to approach. And there's so much going on with COVID and Trump in the States. But time has passed. And I'm absolutely delighted. I'm thrilled that I've got this gentleman on all the way from Dallas, Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the best front men you will ever see if you ever get to see him live. An awesome singer, a great songwriter, awesome guitarist as well. It's Mr. Brandon Lee. Thank you. Thank you. How's it going? Very well. Thank you for joining me, Brandon. I've, we've been trying to get this away for the last couple of weeks. I'm so glad you're on the podcast. And I always like to start by asking my guests just how they are. It's been a crazy couple of months now. You know, busy, busy world, lots of change. How are you, Brandon? Uh, I, I, I'm i good. I am, uh, I am uh, I, I'm about to have a birthday. I'm not happy about that. But besides that, I'm healthy. So uh, I'm good, you know, surviving making it work, making it do what it do. And there's been lots of activity that we'll obviously come on to, but it must feel like there's lots going on in your world, right? Flicker Stick have got a vinyl coming out. They're now on streamings. Even though the band, like you said, it was a long time ago, but it all seems to be like a brand new experience for you. Yes. I Somehow we've kind of lived in, I mean, we're in this, it's odd because we are reappearing, yet releasing the same album because it got, buried and like disappeared for a long time so we're very happy that everybody's kind of having a i guess a second wave of it of a of a attention or or you know wanting to hear stuff from us i think it's great it's just um it's always fun because we get to do this all over again just like it's 2001 but uh which is fine with me but uh no we're we're releasing astronaut astronauts nothing of ours has ever been put out on vinyl because of bananas i don't know why but like we literally I've never had anything out of vinyl. It's always been a dream of mine in the bands. It's so um, Corey, the guitar player from Flickerstick, Corey Craig. He uh, he he sprinkled some some magic dust, and, and now vinyl is appearing. And it's taken a lot of work. And uh, and um, with uh, with this company that's based out of Dallas. Anyway, so we've got a vinyl release, and um, the first batch is sold out of Astronauts, apparently. But there's all kinds of stuff going on with merch, and then there's going to be some new stuff coming out that you'll have to. Kind of stick around and stay in tune for soon, though. But um, if you're a fan of the band, uh, there, it, there's a lot of stuff that's uh, that's kind of happening with making sure because there's a lot of catalog issues. You know, we, with labels and stuff that we had problems with, there, we just realized that there was a there was a lot of people that couldn't get certain things. Like, oh man, I want astronauts. I, w- I would love to have this on vinyl, or I would love to have. Do y'all have any you know rarities or anything that we haven't heard before? And we're sitting there going like. Yeah, 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 I guess so. Yeah, we do. So now we're trying to make sure that that can get uh, out to those that want it, I guess. 
and uh, so that's we're in the middle of the uh, flicker stick insurgency upon the the uh, planet because uh, that's what it feels like to me. You could call it a resurgence. I call it an insurgence because I'm not sure everybody is demanding for this. They're not really. We're just going. Hey, here you go, all over again. Come on, you want it? You know. So uh, you know, join join the insurgency. I know that's a touchy subject here in the states, but I'm on the other side, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, as in non-insurgents, but whatever. We're not going to talk about that. I guess not. Nah. So there you go. Whatever we're calling it, whatever is happening to Flicker Stick, we're right behind it, and I can't wait to see where it goes. But before we talk about Flicker Stick, let me talk to you about kind of your own musical development. So how did you get into playing music? Was it something that you always knew you wanted to do, or was it something that fell into you? How, how, did, it, how did it come for you? Um, well, it's weird because, like, my Fletcher and I, Fletcher's the bass player in the band, my brother, and uh, he and I are very close in age. We're, we're what people call in the States Irish twins. Uh, so anyway, uh, we were we were brought up in a in a in a household that our parents were dance teachers and theater. Like we were brought up in the theater, but that has nothing to do with playing instruments because neither one of my parents played an instrument at all. When we were kids. Uh, we went. We got to tour with the Charlie Daniels Band through cities in Texas when we were like nine and ten as clogging dancers for his big finale. And I used to watch the band play every night. And, and and it mesmerized me. Uh, instruments, just guitar, drums, all that stuff. And it, and it and it, I just went like, I want to I want to try to do that. And uh, and so in my early early teens, I started playing drums because uh, it, it's similar to tap dancing, so it made sense. And then uh and then I I got to be where I was doing pretty good on the drums by my mid teens. And then I had this wonderful idea to go, oh no, you should pick up guitar and go sing that because that's easy, because that's fun, that's where the real fun is. <laughs> So I maybe I should have ever, you know, I liked playing the drums, but anyway. And then Fletcher just kind of picked up the bass, I think, because uh, because if one if one brother's playing guitar, you know, or drums, it's like bass seems to be one of the compliments. Either one, who wants who wants both brothers to play guitar, really? Because if you just have <laughs> guitar mageddon all the time, I mean, I don't know. So I think Fletcher just went well. Hey, I'll play the bass. I I don't know, but so we were we were in our early teens, yeah. But um, uh, that and our dad took us to uh, Michael Jackson Thriller in 1983. The Thriller, I think it was at the Cotton Bowl here in Texas. But uh, so we saw Michael Jackson's Thriller concert and I wore a Duran Duran t-shirt in protest because I liked the Duran Duran first album that came out. And I didn't realize the gravity that Michael Jackson had at the time. So I thought Duran Duran and Michael Jackson were kind of like an even keel. And I was like, I really want to go see Duran Duran. This is ridiculous. But, you know. Got to see Michael Jackson's Thriller, and that also made a big impact on us. That, yeah, yeah. And beyond that, yeah, um, we were still doing a lot of dancing and a lot of theater, and then that just kind of rock and roll and playing music kind of came in, and uh, and we've been doing it ever since. But was it always the plan to have a band with Fletcher, or did it just because in some other bands I spoke to where their brothers, the brothers aren't always in bands together at first, it just kind of falls into place that way was it always the attention to get in a band with Fletcher and then see and see where that went or did it just happen for you oh I yeah uh I don't know Fletcher I don't think Fletcher thought about whether we'd be in a band or not it was just kind of like you know we needed a, a good bass player and Fletcher's my brother and oh yeah he's my brother too you know like I don't know we uh it was anything that we planned I guess but it you know it, it ended up being that way but um, you know, I don't know. It's I don't think it's weird having a brother in the band, but I am one of the brothers, so I don't know. It might be weird for the the rest of the guys that weren't related to us, but you know, Fletcher and I. Uh, it's also better because well, I, I say you can't fire blood, but bands do it all the time. 
Um, but no, like, you know, with Fletcher and I would argue and stuff, it was like brothers arguing where we were, we would be able to just kind of go like, eh, you know, rather than, uh, some of the other guys would get in arguments with, it was a very big deal. Cause you know, they're not your brother mm-hmm. and you can get playing, but you know, I don't know. Fletcher, he's a great bass player. He really, he really is. And, uh, I wish he, I wish he'd still play. He doesn't really play much anymore, but I wish he would. So how did Flickerstick come, come to be then? Was Flickerstick your first band or did you have bands before Flickerstick? Uh, there, Fletcher and I were in a couple of bands before Fliggerstick that I wasn't singing and uh, I was just playing guitar and um, they were just like neighborhood bands for fun. Uh, nothing nothing to write home about, I guess. We didn't really get to like, an album releasing process. We played a couple of house parties and stuff like that. And then the day that uh, Kurt Cobain committed suicide, uh, I believe it was April 4th. You say either April 4th or 7th. I think it's April 4th. Anyway. Uh, Corey and I were in the same grade in high school. And so the day that Kurt Cobain committed suicide, Corey, Corey did not play an instrument and never played anything. And he came over and banged on my door with a guitar. And, and we were all just torn up about it. You know, we were 18 at the time. So so that, the, you know, Nirvana and, and that, you know, early 90s non-hair metal music was kind of our thing. We felt like it was, you know, it was, you know, it started when we were 16. We really bonded to that anyway. And Corey said, uh, teach me how to play. And, I, you know, I want to learn how to play guitar because I think it was a way to deal with uh, with with the, the tragedy that had happened. And so uh, so I started teaching him how to play guitar and, and he was a very fast learner. And then like less than a year later, we're like, let's form a band. And so we uh, we, we formed what ended up being Flickerstick. Um, it wasn't called that at first, but uh, but, you know, it, it not not much longer after Corey could play. And, and we started writing that that. The very beginning of Fliggerstick started, which was in like 96, 97. So it, it, yeah, it took three years really for Kurt Cobain. It, it's about two years, a little over two years. And then we, we officially started playing uh, shows under the name Fliggerstick. And then, yeah. and then did the rest fall to place, I guess, with Rex and Dominic and then your own songwriting with the band progressing? Did it all seem we to... Had, we had a different drummer originally uh, who was a, a dear friend of Fletcher and ours that we just grew up with. He's a good drummer. Um, and then there was no Rex. There was just four of us. What we were going to see about getting a new drummer. And then Dominic just kind of went like, I'm going to be in your band now. And we went, oh, okay, yeah, sounds good. And like, it literally, like, it wasn't... I don't remember there being like, hey, there's this guy named Dominic. We should try him out. It was more like, hey, this is Dom. Dom's like, let's go party. I'm your new drummer. And then it was just like, okay, there you go. And Dom was great. I loved I loved playing with Dominic. You know, he was at that time, Dom was maybe 29, 28. And because uh, we were all very young, we were still like 23, 24. And, um, and Dom, Dom, Dom was, uh, Dom could party with the best of them. And I mean, it was amazing. We were hard partiers from Fort Worth, but Dom was from Dallas. We went over to Dallas and it was like, we couldn't keep up with this dude. He was like a machine every <laughs> night. It was crazy. We were just like, my God, you know, but, uh, but he was, he was a great drummer. He was very passionate. And, uh, and, um, you know, I, I don't know. People liked him a lot. You know, he was, he's very much a, a play from the heart kind of guy. He, he never claimed to be the most technical drummer. He wasn't trying to reinvent drumming. He wasn't trying to do, you know, stuff that was maybe over his head or, or, you know, that, that was just, he just, he just wanted to play and he, and he did well. And, uh, and it, and it changed the band. It really did. After that point is when we really started doing well in, in DFW, we started doing regional touring and this was a year or two before bands on the run. And then, uh, Rex came along because Corey and I thought, uh, 
I I kind of thought maybe I didn't need to play guitar on every song because I, I I kind of felt like I I, I could be more of a, a front man if I wasn't strapped to guitar all the time and uh, maybe some of the time but not all the time and so we had to find somebody else on guitar and Corey was like I work with this guy who used to play in some kind of well known bands in Dallas and uh, let's we should see if he'll do it and so uh, enter uh, El Dangeroso and uh, and Rex. I think he played his first show on Y2K when it went from 99 to 2000. It was New Year's Eve. And the very first, he had a wireless guitar pack on. And the very first song, we didn't know what he was going to do live, right? So we were opening for Bowling for Soup in Dallas. And the very first song Rex ever played in the band, I'm singing. And I could hear Rex. And I'm looking around like, I want to see what he's doing. Like, what does he look like playing guitar? We've never seen him play in front of people. And I look over to the side of the stage. There's no Rex. And I'm like, where, where is Rex? Rex was on the bar. <laughs> because he was wireless he was playing on the bar like he i don't even know how he got to the bar but he was standing on the bar windmills and the crowd was just like what is going on and the band equally was like what is going on and i was like i didn't it took me a while somebody to point him out they're like over there and i was like oh and right then i was like yeah it's a good fit it's a good fit anything that caused chaos i thought was a good fit but you know i was 24 so but that was that's literally rex's first song with liquor stick he decided to leave the stage yeah started as he meant to go on yep yep if don could have left the stage he would have but he's drumming <laughs> i think all flavor stick it, it sort of has this innate like intrinsic need to like go I got to get away from from these other dudes on here. It's like I would jump off the stage a lot. I did it on the TV show and on the road a lot. I would climb stuff. There's everybody's like, oh, I love it when you climb the, you know, the scaffolding or, or the the trusses as it's called in the industry. And uh, they're, you know, and I'm like, everybody's trying to get off the stage all the time. You know, that should have told us something. Who knows? Something so Fletcher. I think he was cool with like just smoking and playing the bass. I don't know. Yeah, the, the bass player is always quite contented just to stand there and, and pick up the vibes and eat. So Fletcher said something once in soundcheck that cracked us up, and I and I don't think he meant it as a joke, but it was great. So when he was checking his bass, the 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 sound engineer, whoever it was, had some like really tinny, like kind of corn slappy sounding bass, like treble. And Fletcher goes, "Hey, hey, 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 man! I play the bass, not the treble." Take all that high end out of my base. It's crazy, man. I don't, I'm not trying to do that. And we started dying laughing. And Fletcher was like, what are y'all laughing at? We were like, that was funny as hell, Fletcher. Who says that? Like, I'll play the bass, not the treble. <laughs> so that was, that's, to me, that's one of my brother's best quotes. You know, uh, there's not a lot, but that one is, it's, it's always the, that. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's the best one. I play the bass, not the treble. We should have had T-shirts that said, I play the bass, not the treble, not the treble, Fletcher Lee. But, you know. It's marketing, not my thing. Yeah, there might be an opportunity though. You never know. Never discount a t-shirt idea with your with your lol following. Right. It could always happen. Could always happen. Well, so, you know, I don't think the best t-shirts we ever had was the El Dangeroso t-shirt. I mean, I wish I had one. I never even got one. But like, people love those t-shirts. Rick hated them. He's like, I don't want to do. Why? He just thought at first. I think I think he thought it was kind of like not making fun of him, but mm. he was just weird with it. But we were like, dude, that is the coolest thing that the band does is the old Dangeroso t-shirt. So I'm not really crying for you, Rex. It's awesome. <laughs> and they're selling like three to one every other t-shirt. So I think he made peace with it. So before... Hey, he did wear a t-shirt on stage once that said, who the fuck is Brandon Lee? Like with Mick Jagger, Keith Richards thing when Keith wore a shirt that said, who the fuck is Mick Jagger? Well, Rex, we did an Oasis song for an encore because Rex wanted to do that. 
I think it was acquiesce. Anyway, and he did not tell me about this, but we go, we play our set, we go off stage, we're about to encore, and we come on to encore, and Rex and I are splitting the vocals. I think I'm doing Liam, and he's doing Noel. And um, and anyway, I, I start, uh, he starts singing, and I'm waiting for my part, and I look over, and he's got a Who the Fuck is Brad Elise t-shirt on, on stage, and I didn't even know it, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great, and I knew it was a pun on, on Mick and Keith, but... Uh, so uh, to to make this story sort of relevant, um, recently, like, and I mean, like, in, uh, maybe two months ago, my girlfriend she uh, found a shirt online that said, "Who the fuck is Brandon Lee?" Like, there's somebody is selling a "Who the fuck is Brandon Lee" T-shirt that she found, like, on Amazon. I'm like, "Did you make that?" She goes, "No, I, I bought it online." And I was like, "Why would someone have?" <laughs> Because my name's not and, and plus you know it's not Brandon Lee from the Crow. It's spelled differently. Both yeah. names. It's like you just found that online. Like somebody has. She goes, "Yep, yep." And she had it on, and I was like, "Sure, whatever." Magic internet magic. <laughs> That's genius. Yeah. That's genius. So was was it always the planning to go into a studio and record an album and try and and get that out there? Yeah, the plan. Well, yeah. Uh, see, well. When we were we were a band for two years before Astronauts came out, right? Or it was recorded, and uh, so when we went to record Astronauts, we didn't we didn't know if the songs were any good. We didn't think anybody would maybe pay attention to them. We were just hoping for the best, hoping not to suck because uh, we hadn't really been in the studio much. Just a, some demos, some very small studio time, and um, you know now it's uh, twenty years later, people are still really into the album and it's, 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 it's bonded with a lot of people and it's, and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, of, uh, of, of articles that I've read the, you know, years later that are like, you know, this is probably one of the best debut albums to come out of North Texas or a lot of, a lot of, uh, very nice things were said about an album that we did not think would do anything. Like we were just like, let's make it an album. Let's just do that. Let's just try to see if we can complete that process because we didn't know anybody would actually like the songs. We just thought, let's try to do it. And so when we did it and like, you know, first let our friends hear it, some of the people were like, man, this is like really good. Like, I love the whole album. And we thought they were just bullshit. You know, we we're like, man, y'all ain't, y'all ain't really trying to say that it's that, that good. And then later on, uh, you know, we were like, maybe it is. Maybe it's not a bad album, you know, like, but I don't know. Uh, as a as a songwriter, you know that's the weird part about it is like th- this might just be me. Uh, I, I, some other songwriters have mentioned similar things, or I've read that. But like, I don't get to hear, I don't get to enjoy an album of Flickerstick or myself. It doesn't happen. I, I can't because I'm the one that that wrote and created it. I mean, granted with other people, but like it's I can't see the forest through the trees. Like I can hear it. I can I can tell if I like the songs. At, in a weird way, but like I don't, I can't sit back and, and like when I see somebody else listen to a Flicker Stick or, or one of my songs, like they're, they're getting this enjoyment that I get from listening to my favorite bands or, or a band that I really like. And I know what that feels like because I can do it with other bands, but I can't do it to my own music. So it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's kind of like the one thing you should get a lot of pleasure out. To me, it's like it, it, it the pleasure is different. And um, so I don't know. I, it's weird. It's like some. It's like listening to your own answering machine back in the day when you had voice messages. You had to leave your, you know, after the beep speak. It's like you know. I don't want to hear myself. You know, how many times do you have to redo that message? And you're like, God, it sounds. Why do I sound so weird? So it like that never ends. Uh, I guess. And so it's it's not something that I don't sit around and listen to myself all the time. It's just weird. And if I do have to listen to a song, I listen to everything 
try not to listen to my vocals at all. I'm like, oh, that guitar part's really cool. Or, or the drums could have done this, but I'm like, and then my vocals will come on. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. Just how it is. So how did Bands on the Run come about then? Was that, how did that fall on your lap? How did you, how did you get into that? Uh, Bands on the Run, Bands on the Run to us, we, we thought it was a, a, kind of a joke at first because like there were these flyers back when we had people had flyers. There was flyers around Deep Ellum in Dallas where we were rehearsing and uh, like the activity that the scene was. And it said, want to be on MTV, send in this audition videotape and here's instructions of how to do it. And I don't even remember seeing these flyers until later on, but like we were making the album Astronauts and we were very caught up into that. And our manager at the time came over with the with the, the flyer and was like, y'all need to do this. Just look, you have to videotape yourselves asking yourselves these five questions and just see see what happens. Like just just do it for me. Because we were like, no, this is stupid. Nobody's gonna put us on TV. That would be ridiculous. No one's gonna put us on MTV <laughs> because we're terribly misbehaved. So we thought it was a waste of time. And literally it took him like three tries of going like, did y'all do it yet? Did you make the make the video it's five questions, dude. Make the videotape. And he finally pulled one of our buddies that was just like a friend that was always around. He's like, Troy, will you please get a camera and just yell the questions at him? Maybe they'll answer some of them. And I can send it in and just cross our fingers. And so that kind of was what we did. And sure enough, I don't know, a couple weeks later, our, our manager, Paul, was like, y'all got called back for the show. And we were like, what show? And he was like, the one you had to make the videotape about. And we were like, the MTV thing? And they were like, Paul's like, yeah, y'all got a callback. And we were like, so what do we do now? And he goes, y'all have to go to Austin, which is where the Southern bands from the Southern part of the States, there's like a bunch of bands that have to go to Austin and do whatever it is they, they stay to do there. And there's LA and New York and then Chicago. And then they're going to narrow it down from there and there and there. And so we were like, okay. So we go to Austin and we had no other reason to be in Austin, by the way. We go down to Austin and we, this friend of ours has a, has a house with a pool and the next day, we're supposed to be at this venue to do the regional audition uh, kind of early in the afternoon. And they wanted us to play two songs, both acoustic, which we thought was weird. And we didn't trust anything by this time either because we were like, something's up. So they said, play one of your own songs acoustic and then choose a cover that's not really like you guys. And so like somehow we got no doubts, don't speak. I don't know. I don't know how this happened, but this is what I was told. We got to learn to don't speak by no doubt, and then we got to play one of our own songs. Okay, cool, whatever. So we drive three hours to Austin, and the house is nice. There's a pool, and there's friends. We party all night and don't learn a thing of no doubts, don't speak. And so terribly hungover. I think the sun was like coming up. None of us have really slept yet. We're just like, and somebody's like, oh, like we haven't learned the no doubt song. And so we put it in still wasted in the morning. We're trying to like, we can figure it out. We can figure it out. It's going to be fine. Dude. We're not going to screw this up. And I remember Fletcher hears the baseline and he goes, man, I can't learn that the next like two hours, dude. There's no way we can pull this off. We were like, yeah, there's no way we're going to, we don't want to do it anyway. We are like, who does this? This is not, I don't want to play this song. I mean, like, no, if it's no doubt, but like, it's not us. We don't. So we, we were like, let's just go and find out. We're just not going to do it. We're going to show up and play two of our songs. And if they don't like it, fine. So we get there and we realize how professional it is. There's cameras everywhere. The producers are there. There's like a line of bands. And then our time to come up, we are not exactly sober. And so we get on stage and they go, okay, they don't know who we are, you know, really. And they're like, so did y'all, uh, y'all have two songs for us, right? And we're like, yes. They're like, okay, well, the first one's the original of y'all. So, you know, let's, here we go. 
so we played coke and we were like they were like yeah i mean there wasn't an audience it was just like the producers and whoever else and, and cameras and then uh they were like okay so your second song to the cover i believe it's uh don't speak by no doubt that we all are kind of like <laughs> and so um I remember this part. It's acoustic, right? So Corey's got the acoustic guitar. Rex got the acoustic guitar. I'm just singing. Corey doesn't have a pick. Corey is playing with a plastic like spoon or fork, like from the catering. <laughs> he is literally over there. He, I'm like, he's like, I don't, I don't have a pick. And so he's like strumming with a plastic fork or something. And so uh, we played "Rate Me" by Nirvana instead, <laughs> uh, and, and then smashed all of our instruments. Now. This wasn't really, this was defiant, but it was only defiant because that was the only song we knew that we could play and it was a cover. So we thought maybe, yeah, well, yeah, we got a cover for you. It's not, no doubt, don't speak. So we played Rate Me and, and literally smashed a couple of guitars. And then we left thinking that, well, that's it for that. I guess uh, we fucked that up. And our manager's on the side of the stage. He's like, oh my God, y'all didn't learn. You didn't learn any of the song. You did not learn one bit. Did you even try to learn? No doubts. Don't speak. And we were like, no. Well, Fletcher tried, and he said it was hard, so we were all drunk. And uh, and he was like, well, guys, you know, you have to stick around. You have to go into rooms. They want to interview each member of the band just real quick about whatever, you know. And we were like, yeah, okay, sure, why not? I mean, like, it was one of it's like it's like you just went to high school and you didn't study for a test at all, and so you just kind of went, ah, I don't care anymore. It's so like. I think that's over. I think that, you know, we're done now. Let's go back home and just pretend this never happened. And so we all go into the interview rooms and we, and they ask us questions about the other members of the band and we answer them. And then, uh, and then we, we left, we went back to, to DFW like, well, you know, that's, that's what it was. And, uh, it's sure enough, a couple weeks later, our manager calls and he goes, okay, I don't know how this has worked out at all. I seriously, I don't even know anymore because now y'all have gone. They would show they're going to fly out to to LA for the top ten, and this started out with thousands of bands. Y'all are in the top ten. You got to go play in LA. And we were like, "Are you, <laughs> are you sure?" And he was like, "Yeah, you got to go. Y'all are flying out like like y'all have plane tickets in like three weeks. You have to go to LA, play six songs full band, like a thirty minute set, and there's nine other bands there, and they're gonna maybe y'all get on the show." And we were like, "Okay." And he was like. But guys, y'all, this time we really need to be, you know, we need to keep it together, act professional. And we were like, because that's worked so far. And so we, we none of us had ever been to L.A. None of, I don't think, well, I mean, I was when I was like a, an infant, but I don't remember that. So anyway, so here we are. It's like, you know, taking the, the, the rednecks out to L.A. from Texas. Woo, 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 wang, dang, doodle. So we go out to L.A. and they put us up in like the standard hotel, which is, you know, right there in Sunset on Hollywood Boulevard. And, and we're just like, made it. We've made it to an audition. And so the audition is in the afternoon and there's there's 10 bands there, right? And the, the producers, they come out to all the bands and they say, here's the rules. Everybody gets 30 minutes, blah, 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 blah. Each band needs to stay and watch the other bands. And then you guys have a running order and, uh, you know, go see what the running order is. And we're like, whatever. Okay, sure. So we're like second to last or maybe somewhere in the middle, into the middle, I don't know, like maybe sixth or seventh. I'm not really sure. We were towards the end. So the first band went on and we're getting nervous and we don't do well when we're nervous at all. So first band starts playing and all the other bands are there. And one by one, we're all like, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. I don't care what they say because apparently we don't really do well with rules. 
And so we all kind of sneak out. We go down to this pub, like a block, like a block, turn a corner. There's like a, an Irish pub. And we all convene there and get drunk for the next hour and a half. That really crazy, like, hour of power drunk where you're just, like, nervous and you're drinking and you're like, we're about to have to do something and now we're going to be, like, shot out of a cannon. So it's either good, it's, you know, it's going to be either great or it's just going to be a complete other, you know, disaster. But either way, we're, we're committed to this. And so then we were, like, partying with, like, locals and we're, like, cheers and, like, kind of forget that we're supposed to play a show. And we're like having fun. And then I don't know how they found us, but they sent like some PAs looking for us. And this PA found us and they were like, hey, you guys are supposed to be like watching the other bands. Now y'all are about to go on. Y'all have to be on like 10 minutes. And we're like, oh shit. We didn't realize that much time has passed. So we're like, tab, tab. So anyway, we come back in and all the bands had not moved like in the audience or whatever of this of this small club venue. And the producers are all like, you know, and, and it's our time to play now. And we're just, we're fuck, we're lit, lit up. And like that energetic lit where you're just like, what, what do you want? Huh? Oh, you going to talk to me like that? You know, all that craziness. We're just like out of our minds. And, 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 but we all kind of knew that this was a good thing though. We were like, Hey, at least we're having a good time though. You know, like who knows what's about to happen. So they're like, okay. And the next band we have is from Dallas, Texas, Flicker Stick. And it was, Don was like, what? It was, I don't, it was just a mass chaos went on for about, I think we played four songs. We got through like four songs. Uh, Rex left the stage. I left the stage. I don't know. We just, we, we really, we, we didn't play badly. We played well. We were just us. And, but then again, we were in trouble. We were very much in trouble. They were like, y'all were not supposed to leave. Like where were you? Every other band has watched every other band. And we're like, we went and got drunk. Because it, this is nerve-wracking, and it's weird because the other producers from L.A., there's many reasons. So And so then, once again, we're like, well, maybe that's uh, the final straw, or maybe we might just, you know, have instantly made it onto the show because every other time we thought that we wouldn't get on the show, they called us back. And sure enough, sure enough. So all the bands play, and it's like not even dark yet, and somebody's like, so the producers want to take y'all out on the town tonight in L.A., like on their dime, because they know that we didn't have any money. They're like, on their dime, you know, they they want to go out and see how y'all, like, what will y'all do if we send y'all five boys into the wild in L.A.? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, let's do it, you know? <laughs> so they take us out, and they get us rip-roaring drunk. Um, and uh, and to be honest with you, I don't remember any anything else that happened that night. Beats me. But uh, we flew home, and then we got the call that says, uh, yeah, uh, y'all are one of the four bands that have made it to uh, Bands on the Run. Which no one knew what that was because it had been, you know, like we were doing the pilot. It wasn't a series yet. We just knew that we got a pilot, but we also knew that, you know, they told us it was a show on TV at the time. And so, and so then we went to San Francisco a couple weeks later and uh, filmed for MTV or Viacom. We filmed the pilot for Bands on the Run. And, and, uh, and then we had to wait and find out if the pilot was going to get greenlit or not to become a series, which it did. And, uh, but that's the, not so summarized version of how we kind of got on the show because it, it, get, it gets asked a lot and um and uh and, and to be honest i mean like we how we were on the show was very much how the process went for us to get on the show and that's why when we were on the show and then they were like y'all need to go do all these things we were like i mean you picked us because we don't really do good here that's not our forte you know like i don't know what band you think there are but like I don't know. The, and I'll and I'll you know end with this because this came up recently in the last podcast that I did about 
hold on, I gotta get a Dr. Pepper. I've got terrible cut mouth. <laughs> All right, I'm not supposed to be drinking this. Don't see this. Anyway, so I'm a pepper, you're a pepper, you want to be a pepper too. So people always like to ask, hey man, so when you guys are on Bands on Run or that reality show, or they call it Battle of the Bands for some reason, hey, when you are on Battle of the Bands, that, that stuff was like scripted, right? Like that wasn't, they, you know, they made y'all do stuff. They made y'all say stuff, right? Like they kind of like, there was some acting maybe, or like they kind of set it up and, mm. you know, had y'all always had us do or say things. And, I, and I'm just like, really? Because you think that producers were like, they went to Dom and Fletcher with some lines to memorize or like some kind of responsibility or, or be Corey or Rex. Like, hmm, let's get these guys. Okay, Corey, Dom, we need you to come over here. Y'all stay there and say this. And then that'll make Brandon and Corey angry. Over. And like, we couldn't, we can't even get ourselves to do what we want. Like in reality, like we could, you couldn't even get all five of us to be in the same spot most of the time. You think that we were going to be able to like, do scenes or like some kind of weird like sort of acting is no there's no possible way even if they wanted to do it even if the other bands they manipulated it went like y'all go over there and do this it'll be good for tv which they did not like even if they said that to us we'd be like what no or i don't know we'll try and it'll be terrible so whatever so no it's like it, it could not have been fake on our end even if they wanted it to be even if it was supposed to be it just wouldn't happen we barely could like get ourselves to behave, so that that is just crazy talk. Yeah, it never. Yeah. When, when I was watching, it never felt um, scripted to me. And I guess just to caveat, this is back in two thousand, so it's before reality TV shows were a massive thing. It was when I was watching it in the UK. It was every Friday at nine o'clock, so it wasn't like you could watch all six oh, in a wow. row. It was complete. It was the first thing that I'd ever seen like that, where it was all. If anyone's not seen it, it was. Four bands going out across America trying to basically win a competition where they had to play a gig in a different city every couple of nights. And it was based on merch and based on, I can't remember what it was based, based on merch and based on ticket sales. And it eventually... based on how many people you could swindle to come see a band that they've never heard of play a show. Which, you know, it, it, I, I understand like the premise and all that. It, you know, it, it, it meant well, I guess. I mean, what else are you going to, how else are you going to do like a, a competition with, slacker bands that nobody knows about you know like it's, there has to be some kind of a of a, of a scale but like um you know like it also was awkward because well the, but you are right i mean like in 2000 we filmed in late 2000 where there was survivor in the real world and i think that's it really like if you count road rules or whatever but you know like there wasn't people didn't know what reality mm. tv show really they, it was barely even known what it is you know like it got that show got nominated for an emmy Bands on the Run is Emmy nominated. I mean, sure, whatever. And we lost to Survivor. Why? Because Survivor's a gigantic show. I mean, I don't know. Um, I blame uh, I blame uh, Josh Dotis. No, I'm just playing. No. <laughs> um, but like, uh, you know, it was it was. We didn't know what we didn't know what we were what was going on. But um, I don't know. It was it was odd because it was one of those things of like bands don't really do this, and it, it was weird to go to a city that no one knew you and you go, please, please, please come to our show down the street that you don't know anything about us. And there's cameras everywhere, you know, and, and by the way, would you mind, uh, you know, spending a lot of money on these t-shirts and CDs that you've never heard? It just, it was, it was bizarre. And so we went like, nah, that's not really our thing. So what do we do on the show? I don't know. The only thing we know how to do is play these songs and get drunk and try not to get thrown in jail. So that's what we just did. We did that. 
we thought when we got on the show, we were like, we've at least got five episodes because that's the first elimination point. That's the fourth fourth place is five episodes. We're like, dude, we're on for five episodes. There's 17 total, but we got five unless they kick us off for some weird reason before that. We've got five episodes that at least that. And then like when the first elimination round went and we ended up, you know, staying because we won the first battle of the bands and we were like, we got eight episodes. We got eight episodes. So, you know, like whatever. And then we were like, wait a second. I think we could win this whole thing. I think we could win the whole thing. And you know what? We did. We did. And we did. We did because we knew that eventually it was going to be down to the music. Mm. And that's what it should have been down to. You know? How boring would it have been if 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 Soulcracker and us were at the final last, what, two, three episodes and their monetary value is so unbelievably higher than ours that we did. And no one would believe that we would ever have caught them in the last three or four episodes. So like, cause you know, I'm sure Soulcracker was like, well, this is ridiculous. I mean, you know, we're three, $4,000 ahead in the, in the, you know, in the merch and all this stuff. And it's like, that would be the most boring. Any, Hey, this battle of the bands doesn't matter because Soulcracker wins. Cause they sold a lot of t-shirts y'all. I mean, like it's, they had, you knew something was going to happen where they were like, well, we're, there's going to be a bonus to make. They had to make it where it's going to be some something to do at the end. It had to be about the music. Now we didn't know that, and neither did Soulcraft, you know. But I mean, it seemed. I mean, it seemed logical. It was like, if not, there is no way we could have won. There's no way that Soulcraft wouldn't have won, which is what they planned on. But sorry. Yeah. Well, the best band won. Yeah. Like you said, the best band won. They changed the goalposts a little bit, and obviously you win. How did? I guess. Yeah. Not how did winning change you, but how did the show change you? Because obviously you come finish that show and you play into much bigger audiences and a lot of more people are aware of your music. But again, this is a time where there's no social media, there's no streaming. So I remember looking for your album in England when the show was on and I couldn't find it anywhere and I had to wait until it was released uh, by a major label and I remember struggling to get that into the UK and I work in a CD shop and being really yeah. tough. So ah. that, so how how did how did your how did it, how did life change after the show? Well, after the show aired, I mean, like it was weird because we knew that the show was gonna air, obviously, because we filmed it. So there was like three month period while it was being edited, and then it came out on like April Fool's Day, April first, two thousand one. And so we were just kind of like, what's gonna happen? Like you know, we knew that something was gonna happen. You can't be on. It ended up being on VH1 because for whatever reason they were supposed to be an MTV. Then it was on VH1. It doesn't matter. But we were like, if you're on it, I mean, I watched VH1 and MTV all the time back then. So I knew, you know, we were like, we're about to be sort of famous, I guess. And uh, and, and and we were. It, it was insane how much that changes your life. It really, it really, it's, it's a, it, 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 I, I still can't find the words to tell someone what it's like to go from like a normal dude that, you know, and then all of a sudden like, everywhere you go in the country or at least even in the uk i mean it was like everywhere everywhere for many many years it was like oh my god you're they might not know you know most of them would know my name i guess but it'd be like that's that's uh the singer flicker stick or that's flicker stick or whatever but we were recognized enough where there was you know that thing and it's it's the most bizarre thing in the world it really is uh some of it's a blast and some of it was a was was an eye-opening there's a lot of paranoia that comes with that because you can't turn it off, you know, like it's weird. Like if you're having a bad night and you're in wherever, it doesn't matter where you are. Like you could be in Tulsa, Oklahoma at a gas station at 2 a.m. And if there's a bunch of people there, they would start talking. Like, oh my God, take pictures. 
talk to my wife. She's on the phone. You got to, you know, all this stuff. And it was like, to me, it started feeling like, like, you know, as, as, as much positive that there is with that, there's also a lot of scary stuff because it's just bizarre. It's bizarre to be stared at constantly. It, I don't see how the mega, mega, you know, Justin Timberlakes or, or whoever, you know, uh, I don't see how they do it. There's a reason they have bodyguards. There's a reason why they know all the exits. There's a reason why there's a lot of VIP stuff. It's not necessarily for the egos. It's because it's, you can't do anything. You can't like, it's, it's bizarre. It's a weird life to have, especially when you're broke too. Because rich and famous usually go together. We had the famous, and it was like, uh, y'all got any money for a cab? Because I'm stuck in this apartment. I don't know where I'm at. And uh, they're like, dude, I just saw you play a sold-out show. There's a tour bus somewhere in the city. What do you mean you don't have any money? And I'm like, you don't have any money? And they're like, what? That's weird. And I'm like, I know. It's really weird, isn't it? Famous broke people, y'all. That's what the show should be called. <laughs> So it, you signed to Epic and the future looks bright and you're about to play a big show in New York, right, in um, the Irving Plaza and disaster, just a massive disaster strikes on the day of the show. Well, that's, I mean, that's really, unfortunately, that's the uh, that's the story of Flicker Stick, yeah. as, as I've heard others phrase it like that before. Uh, 9-11 and Flicker Stick are synonymous now. Um, whether we like, you know, of course, we don't want it to be. Um, but it, it is uh, bands on the run. I think 9/11 is more. It's it's it was more of a of a game changer for not only the band but you know for our lives uh, and everyone's lives. You know, but like bands on the run, there was there at the time there was no there was no like battle of the bands reality. This was the first one, and so if you were going to be a band that got signed by a major label and, and and do the game, like it took a lot of help from labels. It took a lot of or you had to have like a a, 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 like a, a no-brainer single that just couldn't but there was a lot of factors that had to fall into play to get a band to be remembered or, or to even to, to even do anything to to a, to a national or global level and with bands on the run like the labels that we were talking to that they, they would tell us this they'd be like i've never seen an unsigned band with this much behind them like this much momentum i mean seven million views a week on a reality show they, and and people would know our names individually where most most big bands, you only maybe knew the singer's name. Like it was a weird thing. Like there was so much, and there was such a there was such an interest in the music and who is this band and like. And then you know, Epic ended up capitalizing. Now we signed with Epic, uh, and and we they were in the process of putting out this huge machine that they were just like, this is just insane. Like no band does, no band has this behind them, and then gets signed to a major label. Usually, the major label has to, to create all of that, and it was already rolling and. It rolled right into September 11th in New York, where uh, why that is more significant for this band versus like, you know, if you were playing in, you know, uh, I don't Topeka, Kansas on 9-11. I mean, you know, it, it affects it affected everybody nationally, worldwide. That's obvious. But on 9-11 was the first time that we would have played New York after being signed to Epic. And the president and the marketers and uh, the the you know the agents the, for the for Conan for SNL whoever needed to be there were all conglomerating there to like kind of like get to see for themselves what they're about to just you know totally push like it's already there we just have to show up and go hey sounds great so let's put it all out let's do it right it was like literally a, it was a pinnacle moment for us just. Just to play that show, it was sold out, Irving Plaza in New York, which is not easy to do. And uh, it was lower Manhattan, and we had a night off on, it, our, our tour schedule was two and a half months long. Right in the middle it said, 
September 10th, night off, which was rare. Then September 11th, Urban Plaza sold out. And then on and on and on. And before that, well, we didn't know anything was going to happen. And so, so that morning when it, when, when, when it did happen, you know, everybody knows the story from there. I mean, with, 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 with the terror attacks and everything. And, and it's, it's, it's still hard to talk about. It's still hard to, to fathom what it did, what it did do, um, shit, what it, what it's done still today. What we all, like the world changed, completely changed, you know, especially in the States. I'm sure, I'm sure equally as much everywhere else for y'all too. But I mean, like, and the odds of us, we, we were in lower Manhattan. We were in lower Manhattan, not just playing a show in lower Manhattan. We were physically in lower Manhattan when all this went down. And, uh, and at the time it was so traumatic that we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen long, like long-term down the road with, with the album and, and our careers. Because at that point, hell man, we've been shooting threes, you know, for the last year, like just sinking them, just like, I don't even know how this is happening, but it's working. Like nothing could stop us. We were all just like, we were literally living in another world. We had, we had a tour bus. I mean, we had people that wanted to talk to us, which we thought was kind of bizarre, that people were interested in our musicals. So it was, it was, it was amazing. Like there was, there was nothing that was going to fuck this up as far as we thought. And, uh, and, and, and that, that did. And, uh, it, it, uh, it, it took, it ruined everything. It really did. Uh, we went on, the band continued, we made another album and we toured for another eight years, seven years. But I mean, it, it lost all of it. It mean, it, the album got basically shelved and disappeared, you know, because of 9-11. Coke, the main single that tested number one and all the, it was supposed to come out in October. You know, we were supposed to shoot a video for Coke right after 9-11, like maybe a week or two later. All this was on the books. All this was going to be, there was all this PR team that, oh, you know, six months from now, we're going to be doing this. And then in a year, let's think of this. And it was just like, God, are you kidding me? I can't believe this is happening. You know, I cannot believe this. This is a dream. Literally, is a dream come true. And it, and it, it not only did it not happen, it made it, it made its, its kind of slow spiral into madness, and then into, you know, I wouldn't say obscurity, but it made everything three, four times as, 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 as hard to accept. You know, it was just like it's that old saying of like, you know, is it? Would you rather have, you know, loved and lost, or never to have loved at all? You know, because like we sure did. We, we people go like, y'all almost made it. I'm like, no, 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 no. We did. We did make it. We made it for a very short period of time. Kind of like in um, Field of Dreams where the guy gets to get, he gets his bat as a Yankee, you know, and then he ends up being a doctor later on. Well, there's no doctors here, but like, you know, that guy got to go to the majors. We got to play in the majors for a very short period of time. And, uh, and uh, it, it, usually when something like this happens, it's it's over something petty, like a label fighting with the band or, or there's a drug issue or there's, you know, internal fighting. There's usually a reason that's normal and like, oh, it's just, oh, they couldn't keep it together or they got screwed by the label or trad, you know, somebody got killed uh, uh, in a car wreck or something that something that happens to a band to stop the process is not the way that happened to us. Like it, ours, you know, like nothing of that happened. No one was fighting. No, no one was we weren't doing it to ourselves. We weren't not getting along with the label. Nobody died a car wreck. There was no like on our end. It was all set and it was all in the process. And then it was gone. It was gone. And then it was left to like this. No one knows what's going on. And and, and so then we just we toured ourselves into the ground because we love to play and, 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 and people love to come watch us. Uh, we did the two tours in England, which is the UK. We, we toured twice in the UK, and that's the only two. We were supposed to go to Germany. We were supposed to go. There was talks about 
We went to number one twice in South uh, South Africa. I did radio interviews in, like from via Johannesburg, wherever I was. They'd be like, how does it feel to be number one in Johannesburg? I'm like, didn't know we were. Didn't know that was possible. They're like, watch come over here play you know one of these festivals and stuff and i'm like yeah i think we should that'd be great like all this stuff was it was it was mind-blowing and then and then it was just it just it it, it all it all ended in a, and the only reason the band didn't end is just because we were just like what else would you what do you do so we just kept touring we just kept muscling on but i think it was the knowing of what it was gonna be and then realizing that it never would be i think that started a lot of the uh the dark side because the band is two different bands in my mind. I'm I was two different people, you know, from pre 9/11 Brandon and 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 pre 9/11 Flicker Stick. The attitude, the 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 innocence, the 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 uh, a lot of the lovability that people saw on the show. Uh, you know, some of it was there, but not really. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of mental problems and a lot of a lot of. I think it, there was a lot of interpersonal strife that we unleashed on each other for the next nine years and it ended up it ended up being a, a, a story that i'm not i'm not not proud of it but it's it's a story that is really unfortunate because it was like five guys that never figured out how to deal with what they lost and i mean it's no secret that we were already quite the boozers and and uh and the partiers if you will so that all kicked into overdrive because you know that's i mean not saying it's right so i'm not saying that's the way you should deal with stuff but i mean come on it's like what do you think was gonna happen and so the, the fans that did stick around with us post 9-11 for the next eight or nine years they were great but they also watched a band completely like collectively have a mental breakdown slowly a very slow disturbing like loss of hope and loss of self and loss of just just really uh at least for me like um a different band and and, uh, and uh, you know i wish that i wish that i was you know there's i liked some of the brandon that was pre-9-11 um and not all of the brandon stayed and uh and i know that now it's taken me 20 years to realize the difference and uh but you know life goes on yeah yeah flicker stick ended in 2009 there's a few farewell shows in fort worth texas was was how was that for you i imagine it's i guess it's exciting in terms of it closes one chapter right. but at the same time sad to, to close it there's no reason there's no reason to, there's no reason to lie about it uh the farewell shows uh when i when i decided that i guess you know the band was it needed to have its final it needed to be over because of, uh, you know, uh, well, I didn't want to replace Fletcher. Fletcher decided to enlist in the National Guard at, you know, 32 years old, like stripes. I don't know, but he did, and, you know, and he and he, he 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 did great. I never never heard of that. I, never, I didn't know you could enlist into the National Guard at 32 years old, but Fletcher did. He went to, he went to boot camp. The dude went from being in this band <laughs> to boot camp with 18 and 19 year olds at 32 years old so and like there wasn't a transition period there wasn't like a montage in rocky where it's like and he's like getting in shape stop smoking you know stop the gator goes to boot camp at 32 you know it's like hey you know whatever they're all calling him grandpa or rock star no fletcher literally was like i'm touring in flicker's dick i'm this guy played the bass holy shit I mean, boot camp <laughs> in, the, in the U.S. Army, and and he made it through it. Like I was like, 
how does one do this? And Fletcher's like, I have no idea how to do this. And he did. He's like a past boot camp. You know, and then they're, and then he's like, well, they're going to deploy me to, to Iraq. And, and, and I was like, well, yeah. I mean, anyway, so when he, when he got shipped off, uh, I didn't, yeah, I mean, he wasn't going to play the band anymore after that. I, I knew once he signed up for the army, that was it. And, uh, and so uh, there was no way I was going to replace Fletcher. I mean, we, you know, Dom had, uh, Dom had been let go. And then, uh, and then Corey, Corey had enough after the Tarantula tour, which was, it was, a, that was a pretty grueling couple of tours there. And I understand that, but you know, it was like, I don't, I know. I, and the guys that were, that, that joined afterwards, they were there for a long time. Todd Harwell is a great drummer. Todd, Todd used to give Dom drum lessons. They're friends. You know, like it, it was a great thing that to play with Todd Harwell and then Tim Locke who plays Corey. We're all still very close friends. Tim's a great talent, but I couldn't do, I couldn't, I could not see the band going on without Fletcher. And so I told the guys, I said, I, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't keep trying to, you know, fill each hole of the canoe, you know, like even, even though the filling, even though the people that are coming afterwards are, are amazing, but I, you know, it's, this is also my brother and it's just, it just doesn't feel right. And so that was it. Now, um, that wasn't the way I wanted the band to end. And I didn't really know Fletcher was going to, to enlist, um, that was not really explained to me, so that was kind of tough. But uh, once once I knew that this was all right, like this is it, I'm done, and the band's no more. We uh, our management at the time, a different management company, uh, had had basically advanced us some money to you know be able to tour or just to, because it's just hard out there, you know. Um, or maybe he just didn't take his cut of the pay uh, for a few years, so we had like a back. We had, to, we had to pay off some debts, basically, to our management company. And, of course, when he heard there's no more band, he's like, well, I need my money. And so uh, we we played those farewell shows. Uh, well, not just to pay him back, but none of us wanted to play the shows, is my point. None of us wanted the band in. None of us wanted to admit I didn't want to have to book farewell shows. I didn't want to have to rehearse for farewell shows. I didn't want farewell shows to to be how this is going to end because Fletcher was not even in in the U.S. at the time. Fletcher was in Iraq. I mean, or or in in Cutter after he got uh, hernia. Like like he wasn't even here. And now I got to play these. I got to say goodbye to everybody. We got to say goodbye to everybody when you know none of us really wanted to stop. Uh, and 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 after. The many years of touring uh, after 9/11, it was just, it was just like this should, this isn't the way that this should, that this should end. And I felt bad, I felt terrible that, but that was the only way that it could have ended at, at the time. And what else do you do? And so, yeah, uh, the, the last shows were, 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 were some of the hardest things I've had to do in my life, especially on stage. I mean, Rex and I weren't speaking. Uh, there was just everybody was just pissed. Everybody was pissed because of, of, of a lot of things, but mainly because. It was just like, so that's it. Like all this work, like all this terrible, like all this really, really hard touring and hard breaks and and, and, and everything that goes with it. Um, and this is it. We're just going to stop now. And, and and that it was a really, um, it was a really not, I want to say the way it ended could have been better, uh, but it had to be done and it had to be done in a certain time frame. So we did it that way. And, and uh, I wish that, we could go back and do it a better way before we get too old and our hands swell up with arthritis and like, you know, somebody's got an oxygen mask and like, I don't know, gout, some form of like, you know, I mean, come on, we're not 24 anymore, but um, it, it would be, a, I don't know if that'll happen. I mean, it, 
It would be great if it would, but the way it ended was not the way I wanted it to end, and it's not the way that I think that the people that love this band from, since they won that are still here, still here. There's there's a bunch of people that talk about this band every day, every day. I wake up and I go, there's there are arguments <laughs> going on right now about me and Corey and whatever it is that goes on online about shit that went on 17 years ago or or you know. Uh, oh, I remember that tour, and then you know I was at this show, and then no, that that's not right. And then, there's people that know more about the band though than the band does. I'll tell you that straight up. <laughs> there are there's a few. There's scholars that they they know they know shit that I'm like I didn't even know that that happened. Like really? So if there's anything you want to know about Flicker Stick, there are people that will answer those questions. Probably not the band members, but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna take a class on it someday. When there's a class that comes out about like. Hey, you ever want to know all the stuff about Flipper Stick? What happened to them and all that stuff? So Mustache Mike and uh, you know, and uh, Jules this and you know all, all the they they'll teach it. And I'll be like, interesting. So why do you think he did that back then? Oh, okay. <laughs> why did they write an album like that? Oh well, it's because of this. At the time, Brandon was thinking about this. Oh, he was was. <laughs> well, you can't you can't go back like you say, but you can look forward like you say. There's there's a dedicated. F- fan base who talk about you guys every day and there's a facebook group that posts a lot of stuff on there and hold you in very high regard who would love a reunion show and obviously you're on the facebook group so is fletch so is corey so is dom rex people seem to know his whereabouts but he's not involved in it so i've got to ask the question because i can't not i mean what are the chances of a flickistic reunion show um i i think that I think the chances of a reunion are, I think it's very much, um, I think it's, I think it's at a very good place that if it was, if it was able to happen, it would be now. And now, I mean, within a year or so, if it were, there's, it's not looking bad. It's looking like it's, let's say this, like it might, the House and Senate might vote for it to pass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but there's still some stuff that's got to be worked out. But it, it looks like the bill's going, you know, to the floor for a vote, and the vote's not looking too bad, you know. But you're right, Rex. Rex doesn't. Um, uh, he doesn't do the online thing, or at least he doesn't do social media. So, uh, but Rex is Rex is uh, has chosen to have music and at least flicker stick and 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 playing in bands part of his past. And will not, as far as we've we have been told, that he he just doesn't have any interest to do it anymore. He just doesn't. And that's all we know. So I only say that to try to answer the questions of you know is Rex going to be involved if there were to be anything, or why isn't Rex talking to us, or you know all the stuff. And 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 from what I can tell you is that Rex, you know, Rex loved being in the band and he loved playing music, but he, he no longer feels like it's something that he has any desire to be a part of for whatever reason he just wants to to you know be rex and do his own thing doesn't want to uh, be in the mix of it all so so that's it with rex but uh you know to each their own and i and i wish him the best i really do yeah well fingers across that it can still happen say so it's like there's four of you who are very eager to do it and there's a fan base waiting for it to happen i think let's just move away from flick oh. stick a second you made you did make another album with another band, Jetta and the Ghost Tree. That was a fantastic album. Thank you, thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Jetta and the Ghost Tree was, uh, you know, uh, after Flutestick broke up, uh, I was I took a I really didn't take any time off. I just I was playing solo stuff and just kind of just playing, and then um, 
I, I, I met some other guys and, and uh, that I started to write songs with another guy named Eric Webb. But most of the songs were just stuff that I'd been working on for a while. And like, I wanted to do something. I wanted to try it. Um, I had a side project called the February Chorus that was kind of just for fun. It was me and this other guy. But that wasn't, we didn't really do an album or anything. So Jed and the Ghost Tree made one album so far. And uh, and uh, it was a really fun project. And the, the name, which is kind of an odd name, my niece, Fletcher's daughter, who's now 16, her name is Jetta. Uh, and when she was, I don't know, three, um, there was a, a white willow tree and uh, and and she was she was calling it a ghost tree. It's a ghost tree. It's a ghost tree. I just thought the name was, was kind of fun. And, uh, you know, she was three at the time. It, it just worked. And it, the album is called um, it's called Clandestine Volume One or Clandestine, <laughs> however you want to pronounce it. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a, it was just like it was a it was an album just to to see if I could still do it. Like, what would it be like just to make an album of you know, of songs, you know, without Corey, without without the old band and stuff like that? And, and it, you know, I, I really like some of the songs on there. You know, I I, I do. Um, I had also uh, stopped drinking around the time that I made that album. So it was kind of a, can can I still do this kind of a thing? And the answer is, I think so. Subjective. <laughs> Could I even do it before? Maybe. Some would tell you yes. Some would say, that dude's terrible. <laughs> no, very good. It's a great album. I really enjoyed say, it. You might have said, you know, oh, yes. No, but um, yeah, so there there was another band. And I, I may do volume two. Uh, there is half of volume two is in the works. Um, I kind of Brian Wilson, the second jet of the ghost album. So all the music was made for like at least half a record or an EP and there was vocals to do. And I just went like, eh, I'm not ready yet. And that was five and a half years ago. So <laughs> it's buried somewhere and it will be released in, I don't know, 2032. You know, society still has prayers. So like we'll talk to each other and records still spin and we have drinking water and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, someday maybe look forward to it look forward to it so brandon i know we've spoken about your bands and it's been amazing to speak to you about them but in terms of your own personal music taste what are you into what what do you like listening to when you're listening to music currently what am i listening to music wise uh god i have realized i'm i'm old i'm an old person now um i got into uh jazz i i, I listened to to uh, coltrane i listened i listened to bitches brew you know i listened to uh uh, Miles Davis. Um, I listen to music that captivates me. Uh, is like Gershwin. I mean, I I do. I I, I maybe it's because I grew up in a musical theater family, but like when I hear the soundtrack to West Side Story, because that's relevant and that's current. It, it like, but that type of orchestral music it blows my mind. And uh, but I know there's 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 modern bands that I that I could get behind. Um, but uh, I don't I don't listen to music as much as I used to, and uh, I don't know I don't I don't I don't think it's because I'm getting older, but it has to be some of that. When I was younger, when you're when you're in your late teens, early twenties, that's all I did. All I did was talk about what albums are coming out. But music's different now, you know. Like the music that I've been a part of is, is almost it's all it's barely even still there. In a you know I mean it's still there. There's still good rock bands, but it's it's not the same. We all know it. Let's not lie. I mean you know it's like it's not. The whole game has changed so much, you know, uh, especially with rock. You know, rock is rock's been on its like thread for a while now. You know, there's I could go on and on about why and and all that stuff, but you know, but thank God that country and Texas country 
<laughs> is just like not even skip the beat, man. It's like, dude, so stadiums, superstars, all good. Blows my mind. You know, rock and alternative rock or indie rock has kind of gone into obscurity. Uh, Hip hop is now trapped and like, but country music is still just like, come on, man, where's this money making machine going next? Like, people love it. At least here, I live in Texas, mind you. But, you know, it's bizarre to me. It's like country's at its hugest peak and, uh, you know, whatever. But, uh, oh, well, we used to get asked a lot, like, when we were making Astronauts or after Astronauts came out in 2001, people would be like, so what were you guys into when y'all were making this trip? What you? What were your bands when you were a teenager? Like, what really moved you guys? And Fletcher, Corey, and I grew up in the same side as, you know, Southwest Fort Worth. We were like, uh, DJ Quick, Ghetto Boys, UGK. Dr. Dre's chronic. Um, I got a pocket full of stones. I mean, like it was all hip hop, gangster rap. Like that's what we listened to. <laughs> and then we would listen to like Corey with like uh, Jane's Addiction and, and Depeche Mode. And you know, I liked a lot of uh, oh god, you know, uh, you know, anywhere from you know Radiohead to uh, uh, oh god. I thought Blind Melon's first record was really great. You know, uh, but uh, Smash Pumpkins. I love Smash Pumpkins. I was mainstream alternative mainstream at the same time guy back then. I don't know. But like literally, if you pulled us aside around the time we were making astronauts, like we were listening to gangster rap, unapologetically too. Never apologize about what you listen to. That's, that's the beauty. Yeah, it's the beauty good, of music. <laughs> Do you remember what your first record was? Can I take you back to when you bought your first record? Do you remember what that was? Oh, the very first CD that I did. I don't. I didn't buy it. Well, I don't know. I think now. I don't know why it's this, but it was Millie Vanilli. That's the first thing. When I first got a CD player thing, I was like, why is there Millie Vanilli in it? Like, the first CD I'll ever play is Millie Vanilli. And I didn't like Millie Vanilli, but that, that was true. The first CD that really blew my mind, uh, uh, like, as in rock, uh, oh, man, it was, it was, it was Hendrix, you know? Uh, when, I heard, when I heard Jimi Hendrix for the first time, I was just like, I don't understand what's going on. Why is this dude lighting his guitar on fire? Because that's awesome. And all the stuff that, you know, you would normally hear. The Doors, I was a big Doors fan. I was a big Doors fan. Um, and uh, I think the Doors, I think the, here's a weird thing, because I'm so, I'm right in the middle of Gen X. Could be more Gen X, you know. I've got like, you know, Winona Ryder pumping through my blood, you know, whatever. Just all the cliches of Gen X is like, like when the, um, so when we, we heard as teenagers about Morrison, you know, Janice Joplin and Hendrix and that, that whole bunch of Brian Jones that died at 27, right? Uh, for some reason, the way it was told to us and at the teenage years that we kind of consumed that information, it was kind of damaging because we were like, wow, that's crazy. You know, like they went out and ball of flames and you know, we had that kind of attitude. And, and I think that a lot of that carried over into to, to the chaos and, and the craziness and the like, a lot of the excess uh, in Flicker Stick. I mean, we, it, I'm not, there's no lie. I mean, I was a big Hendrix and Doors fan. So like, and, and Cobain, like all of my, all the people I looked up to as an artist or musically were dead by 27. So when you're 24, I'm like, dude, <laughs> hey, man, we gotta go. Like something's gotta happen. You know, like, so it, for, when we got on the show, I was 25. And I remember when I turned 27, um, like a year after the TV shows aired, like all my friends were like, do not let Brandon do that. Whatever we have to do, because no, he already thinks like something's going to happen to him. So be part of the 27 Club, he doesn't need any help. Now, Fletcher, we don't even know about because, you know, but, you know, but, you know, it's, it, I don't know. Um, I don't know, man. It's a weird, it's a weird game. Oh, well, yeah. And here's the thing, because, you know, of, of, of the of the great 
country of, of England um, and why we loved touring over there the whole two times that we went over there was awesome is because we all loved 90s British bands. We all loved the uh, creation, you know, the era of, well, we called it space rock. Y'all called it shoegaze. Mm. But like, that was what, Flickerstick wanted to be spiritualized. Flickerstick mm. wanted to be slow dive. Flickerstick wanted to be uh, my bloody Valentine. We, that was what we were going for. We're north. We for some reason we got that. So like, all we're listening to, you know, playing lips, and not British, but might as well be, you know, like sort of like, it's like an oasis blur, like all of y'all's captivating bands from that era. That's what, that's what we were into, but it seemed like not, there was the indie kids that we knew and stuff back then were, but like most of Texas wasn't like they were into Papa Roach or whatever the fuck was going on. <laughs> terrible, terrible music. And so anyway, my point is, is that, even in North Texas, like the other bands sounded like real, like, like, I guess like we used to call it butt rock, but like just very meh, rock, 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 you know, macho stuff. And then we would get shit because we would come out and play songs like Lift and Direct Line that were, that were basically us trying to figure out how to be British shoegaze. But we came from this roots of like Texas butt rock stuff. So, but, um, People, after the show, we didn't get asked this question a lot and, and even told this, which y'all will probably find funny or offensive, um, is that they would go like, somebody go like, what is Flipper Stick like? And, and, and whether they made it good or bad, they go like, they're kind of like if, if Oasis were Texans, like if that's sort of like, I don't know, like they, they're like the, the British version of all that, but they're from Texas. So it really is bizarre, which is kind of, kind of what we were trying to do. We just didn't, you know, if you asked Corey and, and Rex and I, like, we would have rather been in a band that played shoegaze, like real British shoegaze. We just weren't that talented. But we used a lot of delay pedals and reverb mm. we tried. Yeah, I can hear that in some of um, in some of Corey's solos. The more I listen to some of the old stuff, I can hear the influences of, like, Stone Roses and a few other bands like Stone that. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah. All that. It, yeah. like, it was just, that music made sense to us. We don't know why, because we're not from there. You know, I mean... You know, lineage-wise, a lot of us were from there, but like, come on, yeah. there's no like, there was a, there was like one other band in Dallas called Hi-Fi Drowning that was a great band, and uh, and uh, they'll probably never see this, but if they do, but they got the shoegaze down, like they they could do it. We were like, y'all sound just like you know, like slow dive. They were into like um, uh, Spaceman Three and all that stuff, and uh, and we were like this terrible version of wanting to be like spiritualized. And these guys did a great job, but. It was like we buddied up and played shows before Bands of Run because we were the only two bands at the time that were kind of trying to do what we we would consider British shoegaze music. So that's why there's a big. We have a lot of ties to the to to uh to the UK for us because still to this day people are like, are were they a British band? And I'm like, no, far from it. But we wanted to be. <laughs> we we always did. We wanted to be. And Rex was a huge Oasis fan. I mean, I was an Oasis fan. Everybody in the band was. But Rex is like I. Like, he's got a problem. Like, there's an oasis. He had everything. If they put out anything, he had it, and he knew about it. He knew, you know, what was going on. I mean, he, he's like an encyclopedia everything oasis. And so we we kind of all got the oasis bug. Even Dominic, who I don't even know really cares about oasis, but Dom was back there just like, you know, the flag going on. He's like, I don't know, man. Apparently that's all we talk about is, like, you know, <laughs> oasis. And people are like, oh, so y'all don't like Blur? We're like, no, we like Blur too. Why? That's stupid. We like pulp, and we like uh, Happy Mondays, and we're 
who knows? That's great. <laughs> when, when we did go, when we did when we went to the UK, there was it, it was funny because uh, the couple of British people that I knew they they were like, when y'all go over there, they're gonna be able to tell you all Americans just by looking. Like they're going to go like. Those are Americans over there. Like, those are some Yanks, whatever. Obviously, they're American. And after this second or third city that we did in England and the UK, because we started in London and went north, uh, there was a couple times where, like, when I would, when they would hear my accent wherever I was in public or, like, at a public place, then they would, and I was like, I fooled them. I fooled them. They didn't know I was a Yank because I would, I, I, I tried to dress like, like, a, like, a lot of the bands that I knew that were British bands. I tried to dress like like Paul or like or you know uh, Jarvis Cocker or or just all those bands. Like that's what we were like. We we're like they think we're British, and then all of a sudden, they're, hey man, what y'all doing? They're like, wait a second, you guys are Yanks. And we're like, Fletcher tried to go. We're not Yanks. See, there was this whole Civil War thing back like you know 180 years ago where Yank is a bad term to us because we're from Texas. I'm like Fletcher, stop. <laughs> you're correct, but that. It still means Yanks. Yank as in not from the States. They're not really going to pick out Confederacy versus, you know, because here in the States, Yank means New York and only New York, not everywhere else. Because it is weird. Like, be from Texas and you get called Yank all the time. We're like, yeah, where are all those Yanks? Where are those assholes? You know, like, fuck them. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, we're the Yanks. Apparently, you know, our grandparents are going like, oh, in the graves. Maybe. This podcast branding is all about kind of you creating your fantasy music festival. Are you a big music festival goer? Were you into them? Are you into them now? Yeah, I love I love playing music. We we played a decent amount of music festivals. Now, not the not ready and and, and like I wish we would have played T the Park or any of y'all's. Apparently, y'all have the best music festivals since music festivals were festivals festivals. So I don't know, but we played the ones here in the states. Uh, uh, we played like Atlantis Festival, and I don't even know the names of some of the other ones. But I liked music festivals, sure. I mean, it's kind of the you know, I don't know. It's it's, it's kind of bizarre. I, here's what I thought about music festivals: It's like when you're not in a band, all you want to do is get backstage. You see all the bands and all the buses lined up. And you're like, there's some awesome shit going on back there. <laughs> not really. And then if you're in a band, then all you want to do is kind of like go that way and go back and you know, enjoy the show and and, and 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 but you can't do that so it's it's weird it's like i don't know but you know i like festivals i work them now as uh you know doing the production side of it that's not as much fun that's a lot of work it's a lot of work yeah a lot of unsung yeah. heroes behind the scenes right lots of lots of lots of stuff going on that you don't see that you oh, presume yeah. happens yep absolutely and what about gigs then brandon i always like to ask people what their favorite gigs are so this can be as you as an artist, but also you as a music fan. So what, what gigs stand out for you when, when you look back on gigs you've seen? What gigs stand out for me? Uh, uh, every show we played at the Metro in Chicago, I loved. I loved that venue. Um, the Metro, I don't know why. Chicago Chicago was crazy about us. We loved it. Um, there was uh, There's one that's uh, been uploaded on on, uh, on the Flicker Stick, I guess, YouTube channel, Flicker Stick Official. And it was, uh, there's, a, there's a festival in Denton, which is uh, north of Dallas, where a uh, big college town where Corey and I went to college, uh, University of North Texas. Every year they would have this festival called Fry Street Fair, and it was basically just a huge college festival. But it was like a mainly local big bands at the time. But um, we got to headline that. Uh, I 
I think 2001 or two. And, and it, uh, that was one that stood out to me just because at the time we just got done with the TV show. It was our first kind of taste of, of, of people actually, you know, we were on everybody's radar and, um, and, uh, but it, it was, a, it was a good show. There's, there's three, there's three shows and there'll be more to come because what I realized is like, because we stopped playing in 2009, like camera phones weren't a thing still. Mm, yeah. So we're right before camera phones. So there's not a lot of footage of us. There's the TV show, but that's still very little music. Mm. Footage. So it, I didn't realize how hard it is to go. Like if you want, if I want to show somebody my old band, like up until maybe this last week or two, like it was hard for me to find a show that I felt proud to go like, check out this, like check out this footage of what we used to be like, because there's really not, there's, there's, there's some, the DVD kind of captures some of it, but there's, there's very little footage. And, but recently there's been a big show that's, that's just been uploaded from uh, Orlando that is uh, at the Hard Rock Live. And it's, you know, it's, it's got some, some, uh, you can, it's a whole show. You can see, you can hear. It's not somebody like in the front row with a with a potato trying to film it. You know, I don't know. But it's and then there's the there's the Fresh Street Fair one, and then there's one from Norman. Corey says he's got a lot of footage that uh, that uh, that he's gonna uh, do whatever. I don't know. He's gonna upload it soon. I'd love to see it, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. The, I don't really have favorite shows. I guess uh, it's hard to say. I, I know the hardest show that I ever played was on nine twelve. Because we we continued touring after nine eleven, where the majority of the bands went, they canceled everything. We still had six, I think it was five weeks left, which we completed. And uh, the next night after nine eleven was Ashbury Park, Stone Pony wow. in Jersey, was famous if you're a Springsteen fan or any yeah. yeah. And we'd never been there, and, and it was uh, supposed to be sold out as well on nine twelve. And um, it's not far from Manhattan. It's not far from Lower Manhattan. Uh, Jersey's on you know, the other side of the river. So we didn't know if we could make it there for the show, and we did. The bus made it over there, and and yet everybody was just in complete turmoil. I mean, I'm talking like everybody, and there, I think 800 people still showed up on 9:12, and they showed up, and it was a cry fest for hours. The show was just one big. I don't remember the show to be honest, not because just because of booze, but because of I think I've I think it's like been suppressed. Like I can remember little pieces of it. I just remember. Every song was was almost impossible to complete on nine twelve because everybody was so emotional and I mean proud the people that worked at the venue the world I mean us it was it was just a mess it was a mess but it also brought us it also I guess you know I, I don't know what we would have done like our bus ride home over the next few days I'm glad we did it but it was by far one of the hardest things I've I've been a part of uh, in in a band was was trying to get through a whole set of, of songs on 912, uh, knowing what we knew too, and just, just praising. So it might not be my favorite show, but it's the most memorable. Yeah, I can imagine that must have been a very, a very difficult gig. So like I said at the top of the podcast, this is a fantastic podcast. It's all about getting our guests to collect their fantasy festival. So Brandon, you get to collect your fantasy festival on this podcast. So you can choose any five acts who you like uh, at a venue that you can choose. One of your acts must play one of their studio albums in full, and one you get to ha- choose an encore which all five acts can perform together at the end of your fantastical. That can be any song. So five acts take five time slots. So, for example, in the last episode of the Fantastical podcast, like I said, I Jordan and Murray from the wonderful Arcade State they collated on the Bonnie Banks Fantastical. They held theirs in Loch Lomond in Scotland, which is a beautiful place that Oasis played many moons ago. In their opening slot, they had the Beastie Boys. 
In the super second slot, they had Placebo. Midway Madness slot, they had Biffy Clyro. And for their pre-headline acts, I think we've spoken about them earlier in the podcast, they had Michael Jackson playing his bad album in full. And for their headline act, we've spoken about this band, they had Nirvana uh, headline. And for their encore, they picked Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance for all of those five acts to play. Right. So okay. it could be as diverse or as commercial as what you would like your fantasy festival to be. So before we talk about any acts, what would you call your fantasy festival? Ginger Fest. Ginger. <laughs> It'd be a Ginger Fest. But, you know, there's not that many gingers playing. I don't know. Rick Astley would be the headliner. I don't know. <laughs> and at Ginger Fest, you could, if you could hold it anywhere in the world. Probably, but I think we could pull off Ginger Fest quite easily. At, 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 you know, maybe not the state so much, but Scotland's, if there's ever going to be a Ginger Fest, odds are it would be good to have it in Scotland. <laughs> Absolutely. Or Ireland, Let's talk about kind of like the first act you would have on then. So you get five acts, one play from two till three o'clock, and then as the evening gets progressively uh, later, your acts kind of ramp up. So you get five acts in your opening slot, you get to pick a band to play from two till three. So who would you have open your fantasy festival? Bear in mind, it can be any band or any act, alive or uh, dead. I would pick, I would pick um, and this is no joke, I would pick the DOC from the album uh, no one could do it better. It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite albums, and it's a uh, 1989, I believe it is. But the DOC, no one could do it better. That would be like my opening act, I guess, if you will. It's kind of bizarre, but yeah. Uh, and then, um, oh man, uh, this is difficult. Um, oh god. After that, there was a band from Dallas that we liked a lot. That we uh, that that we actually played with a couple times called the uh, Tripping Daisy. Jesus Hits Like the Atom Bomb was the album that got, I hate to say got them dropped. It was a great album. It's the best album. But I, I always wanted to see the, them play again. Um, so I would put that there. And uh, then uh, number three, I would put Spiritualized, um, Ladies and Gentlemen, We Were Floating in Space. Maybe the Albert Hall double disc. I like the live one. Yeah. I like both of them. But And then, so they would be third. Uh, second, uh, and second, I'm going to have to go with Smashing Pumpkins on the, well, I guess it would be Siamese Dream. Yeah, that's really the only album that I really, like Gish and Siamese Dream are, are, are my two albums. Uh, the uh, double disc one, a little bloated for my taste. But anyway, I loved that era of the Pumpkins. I really did. I thought I thought Billy Corgan was, was great. Before he became Billy Corgan, I thought Billy Corgan was awesome. <laughs> now, I like wrestling. But, um... Yeah, I put that up there. That was a big one on me. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I listened to Simon's Dream and was just... I, this is before I knew that what drop key tuning was, tuning mm. half step down. So any other guitar player might share my pain here. So as a young guitar player, I tried to play along to Simon's Dream, like, but really seriously, like I was like, I'm going to learn this if it kills me. Problem is, is that I was in standard tuning and that whole album is half step down. And, and it's like square peg round hole kind of thing. Yeah. Where I'm like, this is not right. Why? Who would do this? Why does it not do this? Oh my god! Like I lost my mind because of that. And then I, later on, when I realized what half step down tuning was, I was like, so you mean to tell me that all those songs I was playing F for some reason is really E? It all makes sense now. It all lines right up. And then so did Nirvana. So did all the other bands anyway. Uh, so that would be my fourth. And then uh, I don't know. I just saw this band on Saturday after I did this private party in Milwaukee at Music 
Summerfest, I guess Milwaukee has early giant festival. I didn't know about, but um, the last band on one of the main stages was uh, the Flaming Lips and Soft Bulletin. I love that record um, from the first song. Uh, I would, I would, I still put the lips up there. I, I, I love, you know, I love that album. I, I love, I love Soft Bulletin. So there's my measly picks. Both are too terrible. No, that's... I'll probably after the podcast is done, I'll be like, oh man, you like. One of those should have stayed, and you didn't say this band and this album and why. But you know, I really, I, I know I do. I, I like, I, I really like Soft Bolton, and and uh, and uh, yeah, that would be mine. Um, Fiona Apple would probably be in there if I had a six pick. Uh, I loved the Win the Pond, her second record. I think she's, I think she's wonderful, and John Bryan that produced it, I think is great. Uh, that album, for some reason, that album, which was around Bands on the Runtime. That Danny Warhols, for some reason, uh, were always uh, in our CD players. But I loved Fiona Apple's uh, Win the Pond, three more lines, or you know, eight, 18 more lines of uh, title for her album, which I can't repeat. I, I really don't know. That's why it's called Win the Pond, I guess. But her second record I love. And uh, yeah. So the Flaming so, Lips then get to close your fantasy festival. Then they, bring, yeah. get, then they get to bring on... They they get to bring on Smashing Pumpkins, Spiritualized, Tripping Daisies, and the DOC, and they can all play one. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> they all get to play one song, sure. Brandon. <laughs> they can all play one song. Yeah. They they can all get to play one song to close Gingerfest. So you can have them play any song that you like. It can be any song. It can be a flicker stick song. Oh, it... Yes, collectively. like all the bands. Play yes. one song. Yeah. Oh yeah, well they got to play Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka. That's my thing. Love it. See, I've already thought. I just I left out Jeff Buckley, but you know this will go on all night. So don't even just cut me off. Just push <laughs> in like five in. I'll be like, oh, and this band, and this is the, the Bee Gees. You know. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, but I like that's... some of the Bee Gees. Yeah, Bee Gees. Bee Gees seem to be Bee Gees are as big as ever in the UK. I don't know what it's like in the States. Bee Gees in the UK. Is... Well, all right. So, like, when here's the thing about the Bee Gees. All right. Like, you know, when bands, some bands have a songwriter in the band, they're like, uh, the songwriter's like, hey, so they're, or they're like, hey, place the new song so we can do them, right? Well, I imagine this. That's how kind of Corey and I would like. Corey and I would be like, all right, let's show the songs to the guys, right? Now, the Bee Gees, the Bee Gees had albums before the, they got huge. They were, they were fairly well known and they didn't sing in falsetto, mm. right? They made albums where there was no falsetto stuff. Well, then you got uh, the you know Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, right? That, that's that's obviously falsetto. So my thing is, is that could you imagine that Barry Gibb has gone away to write an album and then bring it back for the band, his brothers and the producers, and they're like, can't wait to hear it. I wonder what Gary's done. <laughs> you know, but what is Barry? What is Barry written? You know, because you know their albums have done all right. So Barry comes back and he's like, okay, mates. And they're like, yeah, play some albums. Like, well, what do you got? What do you got? And he's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here's some new stuff. Here's, here we go. Here we go. And he plays first song and it's right out of the gate. First verse, falsetto. Just, you know, and band's like, oh, interesting. Falsetto. Good choice. I don't know. Maybe he's going for something a little different. See what happens. Chorus, still falsetto. They're like, chorus two. Weird, weird. But hey, we'll see what song two's like, you know. He's like, all right, mate. So, you know, that's one of them. All right, here's the second song. Still falsetto. Third song. Falsetto again. And the band's like, okay, okay, okay. Barry, are all the songs in falsetto now? And, and like, do we have to sing in falsetto? Oh, yeah, mate. Y'all going to do the harmonies to, like, you know, the high ones. You know, we're all going to sing. So, you know, three grown men, all falsetto. Whole album. It's going to be great. It's going to sell 100 million records. And it did. It did, yeah. It did. 
you know that they were like, you can't do this. You cannot. We can't sing like that for an entire break. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we can. Yep. <laughs> well, that, yep. yeah. Huge album. BG's Bee Gees were one of my first bands I ever heard because I was born in 74. And my parents played them all the time. So I love, hate the Bee Gees. What are you going to do? And ABBA. Love them, hate them. Yeah. Bee Gees never been picked for a fantasy festival, the Bee Gees, and Abra have only been picked once out of 66 episodes. No way. Oh, man, well, number 67 might have it. I don't know. <laughs> Currently, <laughs> David Bowie is, is top of the leaderboard. It's been picked nine times. Oh, Bowie. really? I can see that. See? Yeah. I didn't, yeah. Bowie, Bowie, Queen, Hendrix, Bowie. The Clash. The Clash. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bowie's a pretty big one, yeah. 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 Um, you know... I tried, man. I you, tried. Mate, you've done well. well you done well. Let me, let, let's summarise your fantastic audience. So you're having Ginger Fest. I think we're going to hold it. Where did we say? Ireland or Scotland? Somewhere in the UK, I think we were going to. Where there's a lot of ginger people. Where, wherever wherever it's not hot and sunny. That works. <laughs> that works. Parasols and the Windy Girl. Ginger Fest. Brilliant. Ginger Fest. We're going to have the one, one ginger per band. It's a quota of one ginger per band. Because when are you going to find more than one band that's all ginger? Can you even find one band that's all gingers? This no. is a serious question. I can't. can't I can't. No. Nah. Great. <laughs> Apart from Ed, she- Ed Sheeran is the only one I can think of. But that's not a band. It's one one fella. No, that's one person. Find me all five Gs. Find me a redheaded <laughs> oasis. It ain't going to happen. You can't find that. I can't even find that. Hell, if there's three more redheaded people in the same place, unless I'm in Scotland or Ireland, over here, you're like, who called this meeting? Nobody told me about this shit. That's supposed to be on Tuesdays. You know, we don't see that much. So Not that many gingers. So you're fantastic, Audi, and we've got Ginger Fest. You're going to have the DOC opening. We've got Tripping Daisy in your super second slot. We've got Spiritualized taking your Midway Madness slot. Smashing Pumpkins pre-headlining. And the flame and lips will headline your fantasy festival. And for your encore, they're all going to play together as a collective. Pure imagination. Yes, pure imagination. Which I think by now I should probably figure out who actually wrote that song because <laughs> it's not Gene Wilder. But you know, I don't know the Willy Wonka song "Pure Imagination," sung by Gene Wilder, but done by the DOC Billy Corgan, uh, Wayne, Wayne Coyne. Coyne. I think Wayne Coyne will be able to do that very well, actually. Um, and uh, am I leaving out now? Who's my second pick? Oh, Tim DeLotter, if you will. And uh, Jason Pierce. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, genius. What could go wrong? What could go wrong with that one? Amazing. Amazing. So before we. Can you imagine? <laughs> imagination? Oh, man. Wayne Coyne and Billy Ford and Pure Imagination together. That's. There's some, there's some pitch. <laughs> there's some pitch problems going on, probably. I don't know. They're great singers. <laughs> So before we wrap up then, Brandon, what, what did the next couple of months look like for you? Obviously, we talked about it at the top of the podcast. You've got, well, Flickistic have got Astronauts being re-released, well, not being re-released, released on vinyl for the first time. There's a whole big campaign to get you guys back together for at least one show on Facebook. So, what, I mean, what as it stands at the moment, what do the next couple of months look like for you? Oh, the next couple of months... Uh... I've actually got well. There's a there's a show that's supposed to be confirmed for Nashville in November, but that's just me solo. Um, but there's going to be a lot more on the Flicker Stick, uh, like uh, the collective sites on social media, TikTok, and and all the normal ones that everybody has. That uh, 
there's an announcement coming that I, I'm not I'm not going to say anything about right now. But there's there's some new stuff that is not re-released, regurgitated stuff or an old album. But uh, there'll be some fun stuff that's going to happen soon. And uh, and basically, just if you can, just stop by the Flicker Stick, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. But uh, I don't want to say too much because I'm not really the mastermind of it all. I'm you know, but uh, there is a lot coming up. Me personally. Uh, I got to go back and do the Michael Bublé show in a couple of hours, and that's going to be a, a, a late night. So that's what I'm doing. Great stuff. And then Kiss next week for some reason, and then Rolling Stones. Got a lot going on. Nothing that had to do with me singing or playing, but you know, <laughs> it's a job. I'm still. It's just you know, you got to make a living. Yeah, absolutely. Got to make a living. You certainly do. You certainly do. And talk about social media. I always get people to tell us where they're at. So I know. F- Flicker Stick are on Facebook, they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok. Right. So any social media platform, if you just search for Flicker Stick, not under Flicker Stick, it would be under like Flicker Stick official. Yeah. So one of the two, you yeah. know, certain. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's the some of those are brand new. Like before, it was really just this group site on Flicker Stick. There was a face Facebook group site uh, done by the, this buddy of ours, and that was really the thing that kept the band online. And now. Corey and uh, uh, the the new the new like it's expanded to a lot more. So if you if you are still interested or still want to you know listen to something or, or watch bands on the run, you can go to the YouTube channel, you can go to TikTok, you can go to, to Instagram and all that stuff. So it, there's a lot that's happened in the last month, and there'll be there'll be more to come, and and uh, we'll see where that takes us. But it it could take us down. It could go well. It could. It's about time something, you know, something did. Maybe things might go well this time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, fingers, no, cro- no. fingers crossed they do. I mean, for anyone who's not seen Bands on the Run, it's available now, as Brandon said, on YouTube. It's well worth a watch. It was back in the days when reality TV wasn't a thing, and it, it was an absolutely spellbinding watch. I remember watching the final in the UK and rooting for you guys. And I remember the, the scene on a boat when you find out you won. I remember that vividly. You was on sea in a boat and you guys find out you won and being, even I was euphoric back then. Yeah, it really was. Well, I mean, that was my first time on a boat bigger than what you wanted to be behind anyway. So, like, that was pretty cool. Uh, no, yeah, it was, I mean, it, it, it was a dream come true. That, that, that little from... You know, April to September, there was like that seven-month period where we were on top of the world, as far as we were concerned. I mean, just not, not like you know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, we just, we couldn't believe it. It was amazing, you know. So yeah, so some other you- and uh, fact that people are still you know interested at any level is is mind blowing to me. And so yeah, if there's something that uh, that you didn't get round one, uh, or you're just still interested in, yeah, go to Go check it out. Yeah, go check it out. But also, Flicker Stick's first album is newly on streaming platforms, only in the last month. So we've spoken about Welcome to the Astronauts quite a bit. If you've never listened to it, I'm listening to it now. You can go into Spotify. It's on Apple Music. I think it's everywhere on every streaming platform. So go and check out that album if you haven't heard it before. It's a phenomenal album. It's full of great tunes that if you listen to it, you will not regret it at all. 
So I guess that's the perfect place to end this episode of the Fantastical Podcast. This has been the 66th episode. And if you've enjoyed this one, please subscribe. Give the Fantastical Podcast a review on iTunes. Give us a follow on Spotify or on Anchor or whatever platform you're listening on. And recommend this podcast to all of your friends and families. Flick a stick on social media. So is the podcast. We are on Twitter. So make sure to follow us at Fantastical P. And if you're not on Twitter but want to contact the podcast, you can do so at Fantastical Podcast at Outlook.com. Unfortunately, can't play music on podcasts, but I'll get some tracks of Brandon from his chosen acts and I'll get some Flick a stick tracks. We'll make a Spotify playlist and work that into the episode description. And yeah, Brandon, a massive thank you from me to you. This has been a dream having you on the Fantastical podcast. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I could have listened to you for so much longer, but I'm aware that podcasts can only go on for a certain amount of time. You've been an amazing guest and it's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been great. I really enjoyed it. I, I, I really, uh, anytime, if you ever want to be back, I would love to come back. But yeah, I'm a big fan of the show and good luck with everything. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure, my pleasure. Great stuff. When Flicker Stick blow up for the second time, once you do that reunion show, I'll try and get you back on, but you'll probably go, no, it's too small fry now. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep, keep pressure on. You never know. Great stuff. So I'll be back with episode number 67 soon. So please make sure to join me. But until then, stay safe, my fantastical friends. Please continue to spread the word. And that word is fantastical. Thanks for listening.